Good morning. So for the 28th time, happy new year. You have to say it though. I'm one of those guys that I don't, I don't, I've never really gotten the new year thing. I was like, it's just a different day. Like, I don't know, but it's cool. I'm glad to be done with 2021. Um, that was a good year though. There was, there, it, there was, it, was, it was okay. It was good. It's fine. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Nate Parrish. I'm the creative director here. And uh, I'm honored to be able to give you the first message of 2022. So here we go. All right, we're going to start off with a little imagination here. So I want you to imagine with me that you're the ruler of a kingdom, okay? And you have been since you were 16 years old. So when other kids, like let's say um, a kid named Nate was 16 and he was flunking his driver's test for the third time, (laughs) hypothetically speaking, Three times, guys. I don't even know how I'm allowed to drive. Kids are doing that. They're doing dumb stuff. You're the king of a kingdom. You would be the king for 52 years. During that time, you would have gone out. You've won wars. You've created new weapons of war. You've overseen the creation of catapults that shoot arrows and and giant stones. You've also become a great farmer. Random, but it's in there. You're good at farming and you're good at warring. You've become famous before the invention of the internet. Yeah, I know, it's a big deal. So this is you. And yet, here you are being hastily escorted out of your kingdom as you've just had a spontaneous outbreak of leprosy on your forehead. It's a weird story. You'll spend the rest of your days not as king of the kingdom that you built, but as an outcast outside the walls. And this is where the story of King Uzziah ends. This is your feel-good story of 2022. (laughs) So how did he get here? What could take a king from his throne and leave him in a house outside of his kingdom? What can defeat a mighty army of over 300,000 soldiers without even picking up a sword? What could take the crown from King Uzziah's head and replace it with leprosy? Today we're talking about the price of pride. So what does the Bible say about pride? Proverbs 11.2, it says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant, arrogant in heart and is an abomination to the Lord, be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let's pray. God, we give this day to you. We give this time to you, Lord. I pray that you would uh, speak through me, God, uh, that we would um, hear the word. It would penetrate into our hearts, God. It would change us from the inside out, Lord, and we can assess our life um, in light of your love, and, and we would begin to take away those areas of pride, God, and allow you to move in and, and uh, conform us and make us more like you. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about two things specifically with dealing with pride today. One is pride has a progression. Pride has a progression. And two, pride has a price. Pride has a price. We're going to examine the reign of King Uzziah and see that pride doesn't just take you down overnight. It has a progression. 
and it will always cost you something. Pride has a price. So you have your Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. If you'll turn to 2 Chronicles 26. We're going to read the first chunk of Uzziah's reign. He's kind of the, uh, it's a tale of two kingdoms. He has a, the beginning of his reign, which is going really awesome, winning wars, having good farms. And then the second part of his reign, which is what we talked about with the leprosy and not being king anymore. So two very different uh, kingdoms. But what happens in the middle of this? How did he get there? So let's start 2 Chronicles 26, verse 1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Verse 5, this is an important one. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Verse 6. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Mayanites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he had become very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. He built towers in the wilderness and cut many cisterns for he had large herds both in Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. He was, a, he was into farming. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war, in divisions according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary of Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. Can I just say these, these stories with the names? We got to pick easier names. The whole number of the herds of fathers, house of mighty men of valor, was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who, who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelous, marvelously helped till he was strong. Okay, a lot of scripture there. Going to summarize it. He becomes king. He's really good at kinging. He's winning wars. He's building weapons of war. He has a lush garden. Things are going great. When we get to the part where it talks about he, his fame spread and he became strong, in my mind, I would think, okay, well, this is where it goes wrong for King Uzziah, right? As he gets puffed up, he becomes strong, he's famous. We've seen what happens to, to people when, when that gets into their lives. But actually, his fall started much earlier. It actually started in verse 5. In verse 5, it says, He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Pride has a progression. The first thing pride's going to do to you 
It's going to distort your perspective. A healthy perspective begins with the fear of the Lord. So what does it mean to fear God? Uh, when I was studying, I came across a bunch of different analogies. You know, the fear of God is, is something that we talk about a lot. It's written, written a lot about, but it's sort of, it can be vague because it, people look at it different ways, right? They have a different perspective. Uh, one of the things I read was, the fear of God is like standing before an ocean, and you're in awe of the vastness and the depth and the power of the ocean. How many of you guys have ever gone surfing or boogie boarding or anything like that? Have you ever wiped out? Yeah. So the ocean is no joke. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got wrecked by the ocean to where I barely made it to the sand and I just laid there and just was rethinking my whole decisions up to that point in life. It, the ocean will mess you up. But I like that analogy, uh, but it's sort of feels a little impersonal, right? We're talking about our Lord and Savior. We're talking about friend Jesus. So uh, it's a little unbalanced. Well, let's look at and see what the Bible says. Proverbs 9.10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So this is to know God as holy. We look in Proverbs 19.23. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. So this is to know him as protector and provider. Jump over to Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. This is to know God as friend. So when I look at this in context, I see that God is both powerful and personal. He's holy. He's our protector, provider. He's up there. He's the ocean, but he's also personal. He's our friend. We have a relationship with him. So I would say that the fear of the Lord is having a biblically balanced view of who God is. The fear of the Lord is having a biblically balanced view of who God is. If you have a balanced view of who God is, you understand the powerful, the personal, This will affect your perspective, your outlook on everything. For example, when I was growing up, really, really into basketball, and uh, I lived, breathed basketball, and my dad was also pretty good at basketball. I think he was just taller than me, is what it was, but we had a hoop in the backyard, and all growing up, dad, let's play basketball, And, and he would go out there and play in cowboy boots, which just, when he would beat me, it's just more insulting that he would beat me in tight jeans and cowboy boots. Like, dude. And I'm like all, you know, got all the gear and the Jordans and stuff, and he's just dominating me. But all growing up, my dad, anyone uh, watch basketball, like old basketball, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar type of stuff? You ever heard of the hook shot? It's beautiful. It's a beautiful move if you can master it. So my dad, that was his only thing he had, was this hook shot. Because he knew he was taller than me, he was bigger than me, so if he had that arm out, in the hook shot, there's no way I could get to it, right? So he would just destroy me. Well, when I got a little older, I started to get pretty good at basketball. And uh, I played in high school, and my team uh, was second in state. We went 36-0. and 0. So yeah, I'm not going to brag, but we were in the newspaper. <laughs> and I played probably 10 minutes in that game. So yeah. So we were playing basketball in the backyard. And my dad's doing the hook shot, and I start swatting him, like I can block it now. But somehow, he comes up with another move, and he's still beating me. 
My dad's still beating me at basketball, and he starts laughing. Oh, dude. So he's, he's sinking shots, and I'm missing, and he starts laughing at me. <laughs> uh, I start to get a little upset. And he wins in our game of one-on-one, and I don't know what happened to me. But he's laughing, he's, ah, and he starts walking towards the gate. I pick up the basketball, and <laughs> just... Uh, I go to th- I throw I'm throwing a basketball at my dad while his back's turned, and in my mind I was like I'm gonna hit the fence by his head so it doesn't hurt him but it really scares him and lets him know who's boss. So I'm like, oh, dude! And I throw the basketball and it goes bam right on the fence next to his head, and so he walks he stops like this, and I see his fist go, and I'm like, oh, oh. He turns around and he's not a fast, he was not a fast man, but he had this like um, stride when he's mad, you know, like this. So he starts doing that. Tw- sorry, camera guys, I'm really sorry. So he starts coming at me like that, and I think in this moment, this is where life ends. Uh, this is it. He doesn't hit me or anything like that. He comes up to me and in some colorful language basically tells me he's disappointed. Oh. I wish he would have punched me in the face. So much worse, right? In that moment, you know, I had known my dad my whole life. I'm his little baby boy, but now I'm this little jerk teenager. And my perspective suddenly had a really rapid shift back to correct, to correct perspective. That yes, this is my dad, and you know, he changed my diapers and fed me and all that stuff, but also he's my dad. He's the authority, he still could whoop my butt. Right? So I had that healthy perspective sort of snapped back in that moment, and that was good. That was good for me. I, I felt like a total idiot, and he handled it well by not breaking me in half. <laughs> With Uzziah, something had changed. As I'm reading this story, it's not a lot of verses. Uh, we just read 15 verses of this guy's entire life. But something had changed in the relationship um, where it talks about he, as long as he was instructed in the fear of the Lord and he had wise counsel, as long as he sought the Lord, he prospered. So something had changed. The only thing, the only variable I could take from that is it said he was king for 52 years. So time, you know, time over time, the relationship had changed. And that's, you know, that's true for us when, when we have a relationship with God, it does change over time, right? You notice that you look back, um, when you first get saved, you're sort of like warm and squishy and God's like daddy God and all that stuff. And then, you know, you read scripture and you find out, oh, he's also holy and, and he doesn't tolerate sin. And so there's those two, those two uh, ends of the spectrum and you find a balance. And so it's normal for your relationship to God with God to change over time. But if you stop seeking God and seeking his presence, time will shift that perspective. It won't keep you in the middle. It'll shift to one or the other. And that's where we get off balance. And that's what allows pride to come in and, and sin in these different areas. And I think the fear of God had eroded in Uzziah's life. How do we know that? I'm sort of kind of pulling that out. Well, it says that he stopped seeking God. Because it said as long as he saw God, he prospered, implying that there's a time when he stopped seeking God. And if we looked at the end of the story, the guy ended up with no kingdom in leprosy. So at some point, he had stopped seeking God. I believe he stopped fearing God. And this, 
This concept of seeking the presence of God always seemed really vague to me uh, growing up. It sort of turned into Chinese, or not Chinese, but Christianese, sorry. <laughs> Could be Chinese, I don't know. It's Christianese. You know those phrases that people just say and only Christians know what it means? Dude, you just gotta seek God. Like, what, with a flashlight, what does that mean? Like, what are you, what are you actually talking about? Psalm 105.4 says this, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. So God's omnipresent. He's here. He's everywhere. Why do we have to seek him? Well, this implies seeking the Lord is, is not just being in his presence, but seeking his presence and doing it continually, which implies intentionality. So for me, having a son has really helped with this concept to become more clear to me. Uh, my son, Bishop, he, he really, really likes superheroes. I don't know where he gets it from. Um, <laughs> but whatever. So he'll be in the living room and he'll, he'll say, Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. And that means put on Spider-Man because Hulk's in the show. And we'll be in the living room and, and he's watching Spider-Man and I'm there. Um, maybe I'm on my phone. I'm sitting there on my phone while he's watching Spider-Man. And technically I am in his presence and he is in my presence, right? Both in the same room. Cool. But there's no intentionality there until I drop my phone and I go sit next to him. I put my little arm around him and I say, oh, okay, look what the Hulk's doing. He's smashing stuff. Don't do that, kid. You know, and that's intentionality. For the believer, it means intentional time spent in prayer and reading the word. It's actually a lot more simple than I think we complicate these things. Like, oh, I just got to see God. Like, well, just why don't you just start reading the Bible or praying? Like, these are basic things, but I think they get lost. The story goes on to mention Uzziah became strong and famous twice in these first 15 verses. Verse 8 says the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. In verse 15 it says in Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Strong and famous. Success and fame. These are two things that pride really, really likes. Pride feeds on praise. That's number two. Pride feeds on praise. He had become strong and famous, and I believe he had no one around him watching his blind spots. Well, how do, we, how do, how do I know this? In verse five, when it talks about as, uh, in the days of Zechariah, it actually says, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah. Zechariah was his uh, advisor, his wise counsel. He instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. In the days of Zechariah implies that there were days without Zechariah. Now, we don't know if he died or he got fired or whatever it was, but there were days when he did not have wise counsel around him. I also pull this out of the verse because if you look at the pattern through the lineage of King Uzziah, this happens repeatedly within his own uh, grandfather and father, this pattern of becoming prideful and not having wise counsel around you. They either replace wise counsel with yes men or they ignore it altogether. If you look at Uzziah's granddaddy, King Joash, we read about him in 2 Chronicles 24, verse 1. It says, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. First of all, get an older king. I mean, this is, that's a lot of responsibility. He's seven. 
seven years old. At least Uzziah had a driver's license for the chariot, but this, this is, he's seven. He reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Sound familiar? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. So that was his religious counsel, his wise counsel. When Jehoiada died, he started listening to the wrong people, worshiping idols. So in the story, he, this, this, uh, this priest he had around him was, was great, wise counsel for him. This guy dies. After that, other people come in and start advising him, and he listens to them, and it's not wise counsel. It's not godly counsel. He starts worshiping idols along with God. And Jehoiada actually has a son. His name is also Zechariah. He came and he rebuked King Joash. He says, hey, you're, what you're doing is wrong, okay? God has empowered me to come tell you this. What you're doing is wrong. And Joash says, oh, I don't really like what you're saying. And he kills him, has him stoned. So this is the son of his buddy, Jehoiada. And he kills him. He literally kills the messenger. That's what we often do in our life. Not physically. I mean, if you've killed someone, you should talk to the police. But we kill the messenger, right? We, uh, someone comes and gives us uh, bad news, or they correct us, and we, we make it about them, and, it's, and we get angry at them. And the, the funny thing is, God will often do this with people you don't like. All right, you think about any moments you've had where someone comes to, hey, man, I noticed that you're doing this, or you're, you become prideful in this area, and it has to be someone that you already don't like. Has that ever happened to anyone in here? It's just me? It's literally just me. Okay, oh, Dan. <laughs> Pastor Daniel, thank you. <laughs> I remember a specific moment when someone's like, I want to, you know, I want to, can we meet? And that's not good, you know. No one, can we meet? Uh, no, I don't want to, you know. Uh, so we meet, and I sit there for 35 minutes plus. This person just levels me in public about just you know, doesn't like what I'm doing or leadership style, whatever it was. I don't like this person already. I'm just going to be upfront with you. I'm like, I don't, I don't even like this person. So it was very, it could have been very easy for me to be like, you know what, what he's saying, it's not for me. It's dumb because I don't like this person. That's pride. Was what he's saying true? Because that's the thing that matters. It's not if I like him. It's not even if he, you know, what he's done or whatever. It doesn't, none of that matters. Pride is so sneaky. It will, in that moment, tell you, don't listen to him. He's, this guy's dumb. You don't even like this guy. That's pride. You, you, you need to be flexible, teachable, even with people you don't like. Because God often will send you people you don't like to tell you stuff. Just me and Daniel know about that. The rest of you guys will... <laughs> figure it out soon. It might be me right now. <laughs> I'm telling you. He kills the messenger. So let's look at Uzziah's dad. So that was his grandfather. Now let's look at his dad, King Amaziah. Read about him in 2 Chronicles 25, 14. So this is the chapter before the story of King Uzziah. It says, after Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of, of the men of Seir and set them up as gods and worshiped them, making offerings to them. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent him a prophet who said to him, why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? 
basically what happened. He goes, he conquers these people, wipes them out. Their, their gods don't help him, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to take your false gods anyways and worship them. Essentially, the prophet's saying they, that their gods couldn't save them from you. Why are you worshiping them? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, have we made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why would you be struck down? So the prophet stopped, but he said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. He ignores the messenger. We also do that. Someone comes to you, tells you something like, oh, cool, thanks for the advice. No, because you're prideful, you think you know better. So this is a pattern we see, and it goes back even farther. I mean, I was talking to Pastor Daniel, like, there's so much we could put in here, but trying to whittle it down to just his, his direct lineage of his grandfather and father have done the same things. So do you have people around you that disagree with you? If you don't, that might be a problem. Do you have people around you that are different than you? Do you live in an echo chamber? One of the things I really love about Res is that uh, it's the same thing that also causes a lot of friction, is we are actually multi-generational. We are, for real. It's really cool. I will tell you what, it would be easier if it was just one generation or the other. Because we all have our different preferences. We all grew up with different things that we like. And, and we don't always under, understand each other. But that is the thing that makes us a, a great church, I think. But it takes, it takes us getting over our pride to kind of let those things teach us. Right? If we don't, we'll butt heads and we'll never accomplish anything for the kingdom. The thing that often irritates us is the thing that will make us grow. And I think that's great what we're doing here. And then we have the multi-generational. And like I said, and, um, I'm sort of in the middle of that. So I'm just like, I get it. You know, like you guys just figure it out, you know, older generation, younger, whatever. I'm just like right in the sweet spot. So <laughs> that's pride, by the way. But pride will use that because pride has an endless appetite. It will always desire more. What was the first sin about? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. So God says, all right, you literally live in a perfect world. It's perfect, okay? You guys are running around naked. It's cool. <laughs> My wife's laughing. <laughs> Don't. So... And he says, you, you, oh, so many trees, fruits, and whatever's on them. I'm not sure, but they're good. Eat of any of them, except one, just one, literally just one, any other one. So like, okay, cool, sounds like a good deal. He's like, if you, if you touch that, you're going to die. Oh, phew, better not touch that one out of a million tree, trees. The serpent comes to them and says, what's up? What's up? You, you guys should try this tree. It's delicious. And they, Eve says, no, 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 I'm not, we're not supposed to eat that. We'll die. And he's like, you, you shall not surely die. You're not going to die. Listen, God doesn't want you to eat that because you'll be really, really smart and you'll become just like him. He's actually worried about you becoming like him. It's the first sin. It's pride. We want more. Pride desires position. So we've read the first half of King Uzziah's story. Well, let's read the second half. Second Chronicles 26, 16 through 23. 
But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah, the priest, went in after him. Starting to sound familiar? With 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. It's for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. This is their job. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous in his forehead with an exclamation point. This is not a pimple. This is much worse. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, basically means he was buried with them, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Starts off as a king, ends with, he's a leper. For Uzziah being king was not enough. He also wanted to act as priest. So in that time, he was a king. He had, he had his office. The priests had their office. So he comes in, even as king, and wants to burn incense. Uh, and they're like, hey, this is not uh, your job. You're basically overstepping your boundaries here. You need to get out. This is 81 people telling him this at once. Nah, you know, I, it, I'm pretty hard-headed. It takes me a while to, you know, get things through. But 80, if 81 people came to me in a coffee shop said, can we meet? And 81 of them said, you're doing this. But like, whoa. First of all, how do you all fit in here? I, I'd like to think that I might listen. Right? Don't you think you would listen? 81 people. But he doesn't because of pride. And this is what draws the judgment of God. And this, was, this is what has always been our problem as creation in relation to our creator. We want to be God. Most of us won't say that. Even the biggest sinner in the world will not, probably not say, oh yeah, I think I'm God. But we do that. That's how sneaky pride is. Uzziah wanted to be both king and priest, but there is only one who holds that office of king and priest. It's Jesus. Pride has a price. It cost Uzziah his crown and ultimately his life. It will cost us and it will cost those around us. When King Uzziah entered the temple with the censer in his hand, he was rebuked by wise counsel. In that moment, it's easy to look over that part of the story as well, because we think, well, when he messed up, it must have been they confronted him and he said, no, get away from me. And he had the censor and he was fighting him like, like a Jedi. But no, all he did was get angry. He just got angry. It doesn't even say he you know, threw a basketball at anyone. He just got angry. And that was, that's what did it. Why? 
Because in that moment, his anger came from pride because he believed at that point, yeah, I should be king and priest. I should be God. And then leprosy broke out on his forehead. In that moment, he was given an opportunity to repent. He was confronted with his sin, just like in his granddaddy's life, just like in his dad's life. They were confronted with sin. They were actually given an opportunity to repent. And they either killed the messenger or they ignored the messenger. God will always give you an opportunity to repent. It may not look like what you think it is, but if, if pride, if we've gone down that progression of pride so far that you've become blind or your perspective is messed up, you may not see it. I don't think, I, I think this was the breaking point for Uzziah, but what got him there is he was blind. He could not see that this was his moment of repentance. This was him being called out and he, he just kept moving forward. King Uzziah did not finish well. His dad did not finish well. His grandfather did not finish well. But to contrast this, we look at the life of King David. He did finish well. But King David did some bad stuff, right? You guys familiar with King David? Killed a guy. (laughs) He did some bad things. He was a murderer. But yet he is referred to as a man after God's own heart. Uzziah didn't kill anyone. Uh, He just got angry. What's the difference? He repented. That's what we have to do. We have to repent. There was still a price to be paid for David, but he did finish well. Because when Nathan the prophet came to him, called him out, he said, oh, I've done this. I've done this. I've done wrong by God. And Nathan says, yeah, you you did. And, And you know, there's going to be some consequences, but God forgives you. And then we read about him now as man after God's own heart. So in our lives, that's what we have to do. We have to repent. We have to ask ourselves these questions. Am I allowing the progression of pride in my life? Does any of this sound familiar to you? Number one, what's my perspective of God? Do I actively seek the things of God? What are my priorities? Your perspective will determine your priorities. So how you look at your life in relation to God, how you see God, this will determine your priorities. If you look at God as a Sunday morning box to check, you're probably not making him a priority and waking up and doing devotions or seeking God, right? It's because your perspective is skewed. You think of God as not Lord and Savior. Maybe it's one or the other. Maybe he saved you, but he doesn't tell you what to do, right? Or maybe he tells you what to do, but he didn't save you, so you don't have that personal relationship with him. You have a distorted perspective. That will allow pride to come in. It will rearrange your priorities, and God will not be first. If he's not first, he's last. I think that's from a movie, Talladega Nights. If you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> that's a stupid reference. But if he's not, it's true. If God's not first, he might as well be last. If your answer to that question of what's my perspective of God, do I actively seek God, is a no, okay. If it's a I don't know, that's also a no, because you would know. So here's some things you can do. I'm a practical guy. I need practical answers. One, simple, start your day off with a devotion. Super easy. My wife does this really well. I don't because I am not disciplined in this area. I'm, I'm really trying, but she'll wake up and five, whatever, o'clock, unholy hour, and she'll be doing devotions. 
she's seeking God. She's doing it first, and there's something about that. I know we preach that a lot, put God first, but there really is something about that. It sets up the rest of your priorities. The second thing you can do is you can thank God regularly. How many of you, uh, your heart is working right now? Is it beating? Cool. Probably everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Grandpa. So your heart's beating. Let me ask you a question. Did you kickstart your heart? Like when, when you were conceived, did you do that? No. You didn't, you didn't tell your heart to beat, right? Are you telling it to beat now? No. Who is? Right, we didn't set this in motion. We are not the ones who gave ourselves life. God did that. If you thank God regularly, this will make you aware of that, and it will set your perspective and your priorities in order. Second question, how do I handle correction? How do I react when people in my life tell me I'm going down the wrong path, I'm doing something, they correct me? Think about that. What is, what is your first reaction? If you say, well, I don't, I don't have someone that does that, that's the problem. You don't have wise counsel in your life. That is a huge problem. Is my first reaction to get angry when confronted? Defensive. That's probably me. I, I, I don't think anyone really likes that, but there's a level of, ugh, I just don't want to be told I'm wrong. That's pride. Do I kill the messenger? Do I ignore the messenger? Do I try to dig up dirt on the messenger and, and somehow... Uh, make what they're saying not valid instead of addressing the actual issue and seeing if it's true or not. Practical step you could do there is uh, literally seeking out wise counsel. Find a mentor, find someone who fears God and ask them to pour into you. Traditionally in my life, I've been very bad at this. Um, I have a little bit of a rebellious spirit. So uh, when I was younger, I had a, an older gentleman who was a doctor, pastor, really smart guy. And he said, Nate, I think I need to be your mentor and uh, I think you need some guidance. And I said, I'm good, thanks. In his office with all his like doctorates and stuff, I said, nope, you're old. Thanks, bud. <laughs> so stupid, Nate. So stupid. I have this tattoo right here. It's a guy being defibrillated and people often, often ask me like, oh, did you die? Like, well, kind of. But spiritually speaking, that was my moment of, of death. Um, because I was staring in the face of oh, God had brought me someone wise counsel. And I said, no, because what? He's older than me. Like, that's a good thing. There's some things in life you can only learn from experience. You know, it's just, it's just the truth. If you're younger in, in here, I don't know what young is, but let's say under 30, please listen to the older generation. I mean, I'm a dad now. Everything my parents said is true. <laughs> it is. All of it. Just listen. You don't know better. You don't. You just don't. You have the internet? Cool. You don't know better. People older than us, they've lived it. Go with someone with experience. You need to find them, too. You need to seek them out. Too many times you're like, well, you know, I've been going to this church for whatever, and no one's ever tried to mentor me. Well, you're doing this, and you're being a weirdo. Humble yourself and go ask someone. We, uh, believe it or not, people have other things going on in their life. They're not always just like seeing you, you know, you got to make, if you want it, if you, if it's a priority to you, you'll find it. You can also get into a res group. It's not hard. You have to look at that wall when you come out of here is right there. We did that on purpose. It's huge because we care about it because we know how important it is to be in community. It's right there. 
you go up to one, you get out your phone, take a picture of the code, you sign up for a group. I'm in a group uh, with this guy right here, actually. And uh, that's another thing that's always been a challenge for me because it, I have to be vulnerable and let people in. And that's always been hard for me. So I've avoided it. But I know that about myself now, so I have to try to run into that. Because if I don't, I'm going down this progression and the, the crown is gonna start shifting from God to myself and I have, to, I have to get ahead of it. And the third question is you have to ask yourself, who wears the crown in my life? Ultimately, who's in charge? So if you're here today and you're watching online, you may be one of two types of people. Uh, maybe you're the person that Christ, he once wore the crown in your life, but you've allowed this progression of pride to slowly shift the crown. Maybe, maybe you're thinking uh, you and God could share the crown. It's pretty big. You know, he needs some help. Um, that progression has started. And honestly, pride is so, it is the perfect sin. It makes you blind. It makes you deaf. And it, it will lift you up to bring you down. If you don't get ahead of it, it'll get you. It will. We've seen it a million times. I, I heard a, a pastor, a mega church pastor guy, right before his, his church imploded um, at a conference. And, and I said, well, why don't you go to this other pastor's class? And, you know, he's doing a class, a breakout session about this. And he said, no, I, he has a smaller church than me. I could never learn from someone who has a smaller church than me. Arrogant arrogant but he said it with a straight face he really thought that man church dissipated took about a year if you're that person who Christ once wore the crown and it's starting to shift maybe you're trying to share it let, let's just repent repent take stock ask yourself these questions repent don't keep going down this road Second type of person in here uh, or watching online, maybe Christ has never been the king of your life, uh, but you know he needs to wear the crown. You need to put your trust in him as Lord and Savior. You need to know that, yes, pride has a price. Sin has a price. But Jesus has ultimately paid that price for you with his blood. You can trust in that. He died for you. He's going to take care of you. You need to give him the crown. So if you're one of these two people today and you want to talk to someone, you want prayer, um, we'll have elders and pastors up front to talk to you, pray with you. Um, if you're online, there's hosts where you can do that as well. And someone in the chat box will talk to you and, and you can get prayer and, and counseling that way. But we just want to give you an opportunity. Um, and uh, we're going to sing a closing song. And then we're going to be dismissed and go out and live 2022 for God. Amen. All right, let's sing.